Hello everybody, I'm Party Parslow and this is Party in China, the story of my fascinating, frustrating and very, very funny adventures teaching English in the Chinese provinces of Sichuan and Jiangsu. This is the truth, but it's not the whole truth because too much happened. And it's not nothing but the truth, because there are jokes and hearsay and conjecture and guesses and mistakes. And I found being in China very, very strange, mainly because I was bored and bewildered. And I'd never been both simultaneously before. Welcome to the ninth episode of Party in China. Teaching only 15 classes a week left me with plenty of spare time and nothing to do. Lesson prep was a waste of effort. Almost everything on TV was incomprehensible. And I'd already read every book I owned twice. So I spent many hours wandering around the neighbourhood. I still don't know if my neighbourhood had a name, but the school's front gate is on Huanghei Donglu, Yellow River East Road. So let's go with that. The eastern end of Yellow River Road... Yellow River Road, say that five times quickly, is a mysterious marriage of big and new and small and old. At the main gate of the school, you turn right and everything remained big and new for many blocks, with modern, impressive government buildings. A couple were police stations, but the purpose of most of the other monumental edifices still eludes me. Turn left and you immediately came up short at the Chengdu to Beijing freeway. Cross the road and walk south and you were among ratty, ugly grey streets full of tiny shops and grotty apartments. The shops huddled together like Impala when a lion strolls past. One group will be all restaurants, the next all plumber's supplies, the next an alley jam-packed with KTV parlours. What's the collective noun for karaoke joints? A cacophony? A discord? I assume they clumped together due to governmental zoning, as why would any small business set up right next door to a competitor? If you'd headed northish instead, past my apartment complex, you'd find more grey and grotty small businesses, maybe even greyer and grottier, and with crumbling accommodation above and behind. At first there was a bustling market on the corner, but one day I walked over to buy some fruit and found only half a block of rubble. When I left Yang, nothing had replaced it, so I don't know why they knocked it down. But you'd still find around half a dozen cars and small trucks, often a tractor or a digger or a crane, parked around that site. It was an impromptu vehicle hire location. If you wanted a chauffeur for the day, your furniture moved, or your annoying neighbour's shed demolished, this was the spot to find somebody. All, of course, for cash. And, presumably, no taxes, no questions asked. My most memorable neighbourhood walk was about a month after my arrival. As I had yet to realise that the school would never notify me when my students were doing exams or enjoying some other activity more interesting and important than my English lessons, I was surprised one morning to see the entire student body frolicking about, out of uniform and in a riotous mood. A couple of my senior students explained that it was the start of a three-day sports festival. When I went to check with Mr Wong, he confirmed that normal classes were suspended, but that my presence at the sporting events was required. 
So I spend the morning on the grandstand watching with slight and dwindling interest as various students ran various distances at various speeds. There were a few highlights during what was otherwise a wasted morning. An inspirational banner proudly proclaimed, I have my say in my domain. Which reminded me so much of the Seinfeld masturbation contest episode that I kept laughing out loud. Another was when one of the seniors I liked, Stephen, brought a group of friends over to say hello. Oh, you'll see, Mr. Patty. All my friends are girls. I pointed to a huge student behind him, almost as tall as me, and with the solid body and buff head of a rugby prop. He's not, I said, but she was. The students being out of school uniform revealed some highly inappropriate fashion decisions. Children wore T-shirts saying, Make love to me now, and I like it hard and fast. One 14-year-old girl wore a colourfully embroidered top, proclaiming wine, dine and 69. Sure, the first two were mass-produced and probably purchased unknowingly, but somebody had gone to considerable trouble to lovingly embroider a teenager's jersey with a slogan that would be a bit much on a hen's night. To be fair, I'm sure that some Westerners who drunkenly chose what they thought was a Chinese pictogram for world peace actually have a tattoo that says panda buttocks. But surely businesses could make an effort to avoid that sort of cultural confusion. Within a couple of blocks of my flat, companies declared network shopping consumptive remodelling. Housing, I am scared to be precious. Multi-layered view has seven colours of the future and ingenuity draining builds quality reappearance. But my favourites were the ones in the windows of ladies' clothing stores. The bewildering, the adolescent energy a witch desires and the helpful but kind of insulting we want to make you dress better. Counterintuitively, the best Chinglish signs, or maybe the worst, we're in the provincial capital of Chengdu, where you'd expect more sophisticated English. But tons of foreign businesses and thousands of resident expats hadn't helped stop howlers like the Special Lady Shoe Centre of China. Did these special ladies have shoes, or did ladies have special shoes? Or the bathroom place boasting that they stocked the popular elements of the precipitation charm. But the one that made me laugh out loud when I spied it out of the bus window was Senile Waste Ache Centre. The sports festival was blessed with fine weather, the first time I'd seen the sun in Sichuan, which is often foggy, regularly rainy and generally grey and overcast, usually with patches of mist. So, as had become my habit, I changed after lunch and celebrated my first Chinese sunshine by wearing walking shorts. My hairy Irish shins provoked gales of delighted laughter from the assembled throng. I was the subject of dozens of group photos, each carefully posed for maximum exposure of my blizzard white legs. I didn't understand, but I didn't really mind, content to be the source of innocent merriment. After all, this was nothing new to me. When we first immigrated to Australia, my nickname at school was Rinso Legs. Once they were simmering with laughter rather than boiling over, 
I figured the nude knee snaps were sufficient evidence of my mandatory attendance and went for a nice long walk in my nice long shorts. About half an hour south of the school, there's an entertainment area, bars, restaurants, function rooms. Newish, but built in the traditional style. I'd been recently introduced to a bar there I really liked, mainly because I really liked the woman who ran it, Juanita. Inconveniently married to a Frenchman. Their bar was called P and H, P for Philippe and H for Hua, hence Juanita, but she spells it with a J like the Spanish. It's a small bar with a friendly crowd, German beer but never cold enough, and the opportunity to speak my high school French to Anita, which was a nice change as I spent so much of my time standing mute while people spoke Chinese to each other. Anita's English is good and got better quickly during our conversations. I even learnt a little Sichuan Hua from her. Between English, French, Sichuan Hua, Putong Hua and alcohol, she and Trevor and I understood each other fairly well, or we thought we did. Juanita had lived and studied in France, so she could be funny in three languages, and she owned her own pub. If not for her smoking, and that pesky husband, she'd have been perfect. But I didn't require perfection. And as for the smoking, it's ubiquitous in China. After years of no smoking laws in Australia, I'd forgotten what it was like to come home from a night out and have to soak everything you've been wearing in the wash to try and remove that cigarette stink. <laughs> I've never smoked, even though I wanted to, because James Bond smoked and Humphrey Bogart smoked and my first girlfriends all smoked. But inhaling tobacco smoke makes me vomit. James Bond never vomited. Humphrey Bogart never vomited. My first girlfriends, eh, sometimes did, and made me hold their hair. Obviously, my greatest obstacle to winning Juanita's affections was her husband. But he was French, and they take a lover like Australians take a sick day. Ah, uh, no, technically I shouldn't, but I feel like it and it'll do me good. If you look up adultery in any French dictionary, it says, Oui, s'il vous plaît. Don't look it up. Just take my word for it. But my hopes soared high when Juanita started referring to Philippe as my stupid husband. And then a few weeks later, it became my stupid ex-husband, at which my heart leapt. Or it may have been a small stroke due to all that passive smoking. Also contributing to my high hopes for romance was that Juanita was more or less always half-cut. And in my experience, women under the influence of alcohol often make favourable decisions. See, in China, it's the custom for proprietors to drink with the clientele. In fact, they're often the ones shouting, Gumbe! Which means bottoms up. A simple but effective technique to sell more booze. But the more booze they sell, the more booze they drink. I came to hate hearing, Gumbe! You'll not normally find me whinging about binging, but... Chinese drink beer from tiny little grasses. That's why it doesn't bother them that it's warm. So when someone clinked with me and gumbeed, they'd drink half a mouthful and I'd drain half a litre. When it comes to beer, I'm a long-distance man, not a sprinter. They also gambe individually. Someone catches your eye and gambe's just you. No problem, but they will all do it. 
So you've soon guzzled 10 or 20 drinks and they've each had one or two. What's more, it's rude not to return gumbe, which makes it twice as bad. I had to start asking for two glasses, a big one for my beer and a little one for gumbe. But all that palaver was still to come. On this sunny day, I'd walk to P&H fancying a lunchtime lager and some alone time with Juanita. She was the first sexy woman I'd met in China. I mean, there were plenty of pretty, even beautiful females. But they were more like mannequins to me, lovely dolls too fragile for any amorous enthusiasm. She'd be in a neck brace after my embrace. But Juanita is a real grown-up woman with a lovely face and firm body, curvy in all the appropriate places. Generalizations are generally ill-advised, but generally speaking, Chinese ladies have bums like old men. Nothing there at all. Why don't old men have asses anymore? Where have old men's buttocks gone? Long time passing, where have old men's buttocks gone? Long time ago, where was I, where was I? Oh yeah. Juanita's bar was closed. I would soon realise that there were no long lunches to be had in China. I tried introducing the practice, but it never really took off. Most colleagues were happy to get majorly maggoted in the evening, but a beer in the afternoon caused shock and consternation. And that's Chinese beer, barely worthy of the name. As I stood outside Juanita's locked and bolted door, dry-eyed but weeping quietly within, a chef came out of a nearby restaurant and started yelling at me. I couldn't understand what he was saying, but he seemed quite outraged and started pulling at his trousers and pointing at his shins. So it had something to do with my shorts. Unable to comply with whatever instruction he was repeatedly screaming at me, I recommended that he leave his cute white chef's hat on as he shoved his head up his ass and moved on before something worse happened. Then something worse happened. A couple of blocks later, I encountered half a dozen elderly women. One took at least as much offence as the chef and came at me repeatedly bellowing what sounded like which was later translated for me as not polite. What certainly wasn't polite was her violently slapping me on the back of the calves and knees as if she was disciplining an unruly toddler. I dodged quickly out of her flabby, wrinkled arms reach as her fellow withered crones cheered, celebrating her principled stand and prompt response to such an unwarranted affront as naked knees. The GBH by an OAP had quite thrown me. I headed home the long way through the centre of town, figuring I'd be safer in the crowds, and I remained non-assaulted all the way. But passers-by passed by with eyes wide and welded to my lower limbs. Men smoking in doorways called their wives out to see the ambling apparition. Girls on scooters did U-turns for another look and then rummaged in their handbags for their phones so they could take photos. I still don't know why. I'd seen other men wear shorts in the streets. Even Mr Wong and some teachers at school gave their legs some air on hot days. And the women wore shorts so short there was hardly any point. And tight. They won't show the slightest cleavage, but they proudly share their thighs and higher with the whole world. Maybe it's because I'm so white, or so big, or so hairy. I know it wasn't that my fly was undone because I'd repeatedly checked ever since the chef started yelling at me. 
and double-checked once I saw an official sign proclaiming that it was forbidden in the entertainment area to walk your dong. I have problems in our next episode, problems with my contract, problems with my visa, and a really big problem with human beings pooping on the pavement. I don't consider myself fastidious, but that was too much for me. I am Party Parslow. Thanks for listening to Party in China. You've been listening to Party in China. For more, like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to the podcast at Audio Boom, Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com.